0: I was like, let me just leave on the best terms possible. Luckily, you know, it did all come together. Uh, So I left for this pilot that I thought was going to get picked up. And then I ended up through leaving, finally getting a date to perform on The Tonight Show. And then I went and did the pilot. And obviously it did not get picked because you don't know me from it. I had to like put my mindset where my mouth was as far as square one. Cause that was like, now I'm in this free fall where, you know, I have money from working on the show. I also have money from going and doing weekends now. Cause now I'm available to do club weekends and stuff, but I'm also in a bit of a free fall where I'm like, man, am I like going to be okay? It starts with just taking that leap. You have to work hard, you have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, if it fails
1: you are yeah. going to be proud of. It doesn't matter how badly you got beaten in Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your gut. I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. You just heard Josh Johnson recalling the moment where his worst nightmare came true. After finally stepping away from his safety net, he found himself jobless with the rug yanked out from him under him. Now, well known for his performances on Conan and Comedy Central, his tours with Trevor Noah, and a 2020 Emmy nomination, Josh has come a long way from his first scriptwriting experience on The Tonight Show. Although this all seemed like a sudden rise to fame, there's a lot of history behind these shining moments as there usually is. And before the late night talk shows and award ceremonies, there were years of nonstop working and grinding. By night, he would tour the comedy circuits of Chicago and New York. And by day, he worked the early bird shifts at Aldi's and Trutter Joe's. Believe it or not, his double life of growing comedian and grocery bagger continued well into his career. There was no making it, no easy way to fame. Instead, he remembered that for every step forward, there was a chance of falling two steps back. This cautious approach to his career, this consistent humility can be traced all the way back to his childhood in Louisiana, where love and danger seemed to be the only constants of his surroundings.
0: Louisiana is tough too, because the part that I grew up in is like, it's pretty bad now. So when I was little, um... It was just it was there were certain pockets that were pretty bad. And for a little while, I lived in um, a couple of those. One of the things that I would I would hear is uh, living with my grandma. At, At one point, my mom and I were living with her in her house. So it was like my grandma, my grandpa, my mom and I. And then my aunt, sometimes my aunt eventually moved to Texas and was gone for a little while. And yeah, it would be like my grandma would make us lay sometimes in the living room just so she could like have an eye on everybody because we'd hear these pops that were like definitely gunshots, right? And, And those were one of those things where I was like, is that like, it felt like, all right, look, I'm under the blanket and I'm on the ground. Like if anything hits me now, it was like meant to, you know, like it, like there's, there's no way that it's coming through the window, through the burglar bars, through the blanket into me. Right. And so that was one of those things where I I don't even remember really being that scared. I just remember being like, ah, wow, this is a, this is a uncomfortable. I also think that one of the things that even as far as comedy goes, uh, my grandmother <laughs> always did these really great impressions of everybody. like she could do an impression of lots and lots of people in the family and like people she saw on TV, whatever. And she would do these impressions that would just be killing me. Like like you don't even really understand comedy when you're little, but you just understand funny. and it's just the way the way that she would like do an impression of my grandpa to his face. Of something he just said was like super irreverent at the same time, super super funny.
1: Did you ever like? Do you like bits for your grandma? Like like? Did you like go like back and forth just when you were a kid?
0: Yeah, I think that there are bit there were definitely some types of bits, even though I didn't know that's what they were at the time. You know like i i'm like in my head i'm just trying to do an impression the way my grandma does an impression right when did you start watching comedians growing up so i started watching comedy really young actually uh like comedy became that thing of like the same way that you sneak to watch like dirty movies i was sneaking to watch comedy because my my mom is you know pretty pretty conservative. We were all raised in the church and everything. And my mom is like very like adamant about like no swearing. And there were certain topics that she would just never find funny or she'd want to turn off if it popped up in a movie or in uh, a set or something. I had to really maneuver uh, throughout that early childhood to watch any comedy. So I'd have to either like wait till she fell asleep. Or I'd have to just like excuse myself to another room with a TV in it and hope something was on while all the adults were distracted watching something else, thinking I was in the other room playing or something. And so I remember the first like special I ever watched that I appreciated as like a comedy special was Christopher Titus's uh, Norman Rockwell was bleeding. And that one for me was huge because it was the first time someone was was taking things that weren't always jokes. Like they were taking like trauma and like just general bad stuff and making it very funny. Just like very, very funny. I thought it was the funniest thing when I was little. There There was this thing of like the people who were super clean cut and then the people who were like Red Fox and stuff. And my mom made such an effort to keep all the Red Foxes and all that stuff like away from... From me like as to to stop me from even knowing it existed, and then to play the whatever, like um the um like Cosby or Bob Hope or the you know, whatever those were that were like deemed super squeaky clean and stuff and still funny and everything. I think that there's certain subject matter that no matter how uncomfortable it is to talk about, you should talk about it, especially if you have something of value to say. And I think that she's just kind of from a time where you know we kind of kept those things like private or something
1: want to talk about your first experience doing stand
0: oh Uh, in high school
1: how did you start thinking about like okay i'm going to commit to doing that
0: yeah you know i think that when you're a kid you have the benefit of not thinking too hard about things (laughs) i had essentially you know had this thing with my grandma where, you know, she did these impressions or she was just very funny. And then I also started writing jokes without really knowing I was writing jokes, if that makes sense. I was just like, oh, it's a funny thought like and I'd write it down, but I wouldn't. It was for nothing and it was for nobody. And it was and it was not most of them weren't funny. And so I remember I think it was the eighth grade. I went to the talent show. And I was watching everybody and people were singing and people were playing songs, all that stuff like that. And I was like, oh, man, this is dope, you know. But it was it, it felt very much the same in a sense, like it was almost all music. So the next year they came around, I was like, ah, I might as well try, you know. So I went ahead and I wrote some jokes and they were I wasn't even writing jokes for the talent show. I was more writing um, and collecting all these thoughts and then a bunch of those thoughts is what became the set for the talent show some people even the kids that I went to school with, were like you're like really quiet and i was almost worried for you when i saw that you were gonna do it and then when i had jokes they were genuinely surprised because i wasn't i wasn't even like um i didn't even have like class clown vibes i was very um quiet and and I went unnoticed. I think one of the only reasons kids did notice me is because there were some years where I was the only black kid in our class. And then eventually there were like two or three other black kids. But you know, I'm going to this Catholic school and it's very much everybody hates Chris in the in the sentiment, you know? In retrospect it was it was a godsend because I was living and friends with and moving in the world as a black person, but I was getting an insight into what white people were like to be around in totality. Because then when when you're completely surrounded in a way that everyone else feels completely comfortable because it's homogenous for them, they start to talk to and around you the way that they would if you weren't there. So I got an insight to what like subtle racism was. I think that, you know, there was there was a very clear sentiment by sophomore year that I was like, quote unquote, one of the good ones if that makes sense. So then there were kids that would talk about black people in a certain way in front of me. And then if I had anything to say about it, they were like, well, not you. And that was and that was one of those things where I was like, huh, you feel very comfortable right now. And I can, and obviously you're gonna feel comfortable because in a school of like 500 kids and like maybe three of them are black sparsed out between a grade each, then like, yeah, you might as well, um, talk and act like we're not even here in a sense. I think that that is like humor was both how I diffused and navigated a lot of those situations in a way that also people would, would listen to me to their credit because you're, people forget what an authority your parents are when you're that young. So if your parents been telling you something your whole life, no matter how wrong it is, I don't know if it's necessarily Obviously, eventually, as a young adult, you have to make your own decisions and think for yourself. But I think when you're still a kid, you're like- the Influences, right? It's yeah, like when you only yeah.
1: have your parents' as influences, like you only have- Input
0: coming in one way. It's like you have to learn how to balance these things. Of like, okay, clearly everything my parents say isn't going to be good. My friends are also kind of carbon copies of their parents at this moment. And then here I have a friend who thinks completely differently because they're seeing a bunch of different things. So it was it was that as well. I guess like it's
1: not that you had the patience. It's like to to actually navigate, you had to have the patience. It's like Like, it was necessary for (laughs) surviving.
0: Yeah. Because what, what am I to do otherwise? You know what I mean? Like- exactly. Yeah. Th- th- thanks for, for chatting about that. Uh,
1: but, uh, yeah, tangent, but I want to go back to, yeah, yeah. uh, uh, freshman and sophomore year, the talent show. So you're putting together these jokes, like actually, um, preparing, preparing this and, and looking
0: to the point where you're actually going to go on stage. I didn't do like a proper prepare in a sense because it's, you know, I'm pulling from these jokes that are like jokes that I have had in my mind for a while. Um, So in that way, it was kind of easy. I only did, you know, whatever, like eight minutes maybe or something like that. And from the first laugh, though, I was like, wow, this is this is wild because it's also, you know, 300 people, I think, go to the, the talent show like it's it's like you. It, it's like an event so you know a lot of people not obviously not everybody but you know in a in a school of like 500 or so there's like 300 people there which was kind of scary but luckily it was very dark so i saw almost nobody the spotlight is also blinding so then it's like i'm not really looking at i'm just sort of saying my jokes to literally the i'm talk i'm talking to the hallway Cause that's the only light i can see with the spotlight in my face so i'm not even performing for like a person in their eye making eye contact making a connection i'm just doing it because it's in the gym you know like <laughs> the stage is also already way too far away <laughs> for <laughs> for it to be like um an intimate setting or like for you to do some crowd work or something it's like none of that's happening and and so i did that and I remember from that first laugh, I was like blown away. I was like, I was like, Oh wow. This was like, I think if, if, if up is a drug in that way, then that was my first hit ever was getting that booming laugh. And from there on out, I was like, man, I, I think I will just keep writing down my funny thoughts. Cause clearly they're funny, you know? And so I didn't have even still an inkling in my mind of like what being a stand-up was and also i wouldn't get the chance to do stand-up again until literally a year later at the next talent show so it's like you don't feel like you're a stand-up you don't feel like you're you know doing that Did you Uh, prepare for a while for the the sophomore year talent show yeah yeah the soft the sophomore year was a mistake uh so the sophomore year one i was like feeling pretty good and I knew the first one went well, so I was less nervous. Um, But then I went like way too long. Basically, since everyone's talent besides me was gonna be singing or something, they were just gonna do their song and then go, right? So there was no light. There was no like, there was no like, all right, wrap it up. And so I went up there and I was just like, I, I, I went up there like a while, it was maybe 18 minutes. Like I just, I just kept going, and eighteen um, minutes on stage is like each like increment. It gets harder and harder to to work a crowd. Like that's tough. Yeah, but these weren't eighteen good minutes. <laughs> I was getting them and losing them, and getting them and losing them, and then I'd say something that kind of got them back, and then finally the uh, the uh, drama teacher, who was the person who put on the town show, lit me. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I got off, right? But it was also like, it never occurred to me that I was supposed to have a certain amount of time. Because even in the rehearsal, I was like, do I need to do every joke that I'm going to do? And she was like, nah, you can just go up and practice a little bit. And so I did the rehearsal, which at the rehearsal was only the other people that are going to do it. And so I got a couple chuckles and then was like, all right, it's basically that. And she was like, okay. So I, I also didn't communicate that I had way more jokes than that. And also, it's been a year since I've been able to do it again. So in my mind, I'm like, "Oh man, let me do this one, and then let me do this one." Because it's like, where else am I gonna do it? And it was such, oh, it was such a mistake. It's like, <laughs> like if I had just done a tight set, I probably could have even got away with doing ten when I'm probably really supposed to do eight. But eighteen, I was, I was up there for like way too long. I don't even remember how
1: long. Um, but the fact that you like went up there and did it, and like had the audience for even like a portion of that, like it shows, I think your like dedication to it and the fact that you enjoyed it a lot. So talking maybe a little bit about like the, the Mexican restaurant that you worked at.
0: Yeah. I, so I worked at this, this Mexican restaurant called Julia's from the time that was like 16 to like 21. Um, and luckily they they were great enough. They were, it was a family owned business and, and, they became like family to me and they they were really supportive and everything working in the kitchen and being around the people in the kitchen was like a full-on education into a lot of different ways of thinking so the same way that i was talking about school it's like there was also this facet when i was growing up where some of the cooks like some of them had been to prison some of them were like on work release from prison and they just they had like wild stories and they had just a way of of thinking and speaking that was that was fire man there was this one cook that was on the line and i remember one time he came to work and i was like are you all right and he was like yeah yeah i just had to run here and uh and i was like are you were you going to be late and he was like no no i was running because they were Oh, they were shooting. It was oh it was bad. Uh oh, they almost got me. And it was like and it was it was such a matter-of-fact thing. My man was like was like sweating, pouring sweat from running from people who were clearly shooting at him. And I was like, Wait, so do they like I'm concerned now? I'm like, do they know you work here? And he was like, ah yeah, you know, I know him, but it's a it's it's all good. I'll sort it out later. Oh man. And so it it's things like that that are both like funny but insane i remember that one especially and then there was one where this guy was trying to get a check and so he was just doing like he had a couple days like two days in a row where he was just doing a bunch of erratic things like if they called his employer they could be like yeah he's a little off right but it was like a whole it was like a whole production throughout the day so he would just talk he talked to this one hot dog all day he called it fred and he was like Like it was nothing though. So he'd pass it and he'd be like, oh, sorry, Fred. Like he'd bump into the plate and it would roll and he'd be like, sorry, Fred. And then, and then he would just keep talking to it. And so then, then at one point I was like, hey, are you like, all right? And he pulled me aside and he was like, can you just mind your business? Cause I'm working on my check right now. Okay. And so those guys, like being around a lot of those guys and even, even, um, the, the rest of the staff, like even the family was so funny. I'd even talk about comedy a lot with Pepito and, and like, you know, talk to him about how I think I want to be a comedian and everything. And so that stuff was always, I think, super important.
1: How did you think about going into college and like actually developing this as a career? Because there's not really a, you know, major for being a comedian.
0: Yeah. You know, I think that for the most part, I thought I'd have to do it on the side because I didn't even realize that a lot of comedians make their living from being in TV and movies and Mm -hmm. a bunch of other stuff on top of comedy. So I get to college and I'm at first, I think I'm going to major in film because I want to write movies. I want to write scripts and stuff. And then quickly, I don't even know what happened, but I just gravitated towards the people in theater.
1: You also were doing some open mic nights in college, too. So how
0: were those going? So now I went from doing stand up once a year to twice a year. Like like the the actual talent show in the open mic night was essentially a talent show and that only came around like twice a semester. So I've only like I've doubled but not by much, you know. Yeah. And and so then my buddy that I went to college with was trying to get me as many spots as I could cuz he was like you just need to get up more, you need to do it, you know, all this stuff. And then there was one at a club and I went there and I did their open mic night thing and somebody liked me. And so they were like, Hey, would you want to do another one? What did that feel like that they asked you to come back? That was like crazy. Cause then I was like, Oh man, I might really be able to do this. And it was still like no money, just like a little guest spot, whatever, right? Then my buddy from college got me one more spot that was at some bar that had an open mic night. And I did like that and did fine. Like I I was, that was fun. This is over the course, though, of like all four years. Like I just gave you everything that happened over the four years that I was in college. Why wasn't it like a priority for you? I think I needed to be around more, have more experiences and be thinking about things more than it would be to just get out there, if that makes sense. So can you tell me about how you actually got to move
1: to Chicago and, and like, what were the steps you took? And also what was your mindset around moving too?
0: To say that I was moving and I didn't really know anyone. And like, I I wanted to have, uh, like seven grand to move in my head. That was like a number that I was like, all right, if I have this, that's first month's and last month's rent plus, you know, plus a deposit that's being able to feed myself while I look for a job that's you know like like that is enough money in my mind that I was like okay let me try to get here and so um in building that seven grand up um I would go home sometimes on the weekend and do shifts at Julia's I would like take every lighting job I could get after graduation I think I did like I mean, I, I feel like I did two years worth of lighting in like three months after graduation. Cause I was just like, uh, saying yes to every show. And luckily I had built up enough of a relationship with the th- local community theaters around Shreveport that they wanted me to come and do their show. And so that helped a lot. Like I was getting 500 bucks here, 600 bucks there for, for like each show, um, and so that was a huge chunk of it plus i had been building up that chunk for like a whole year of shows and then um working odd jobs in the summers like the summer of junior year and the summer after senior year i was like working like non-stop like mowing grass i was like doing like legit anything i could um to build up to that seven and then i passed it a bit i got to like seventy seven hundred right and luckily two friends from college also moved to Chicago and so I hit them up I was like, hey, um would it be cool with you because I know you guys got there already could I stay with you for like two weeks and so because in my mind also very naively I was like, I should be able to get all this stuff in two weeks you know I'd be able to get an apartment and get a job in like two weeks you know whatever and so sure enough, I get there and the first week passes and I'm mostly just going up at night and then looking for places during the day. So I'm like, when I say that I'm looking, I'm like walking miles up and down Chicago. I'm not even taking the train because I don't want to miss a place that might be, uh, renting. Was there not like Zillow or or like apartments.com? When I was on Zillow's and stuff like that, I was having this issue with the fee because the fee was just too much. Um, and so I was like, if I at least go straight to this place and I'm like, give me an application, let me fill it out. Let me see if I can get this apartment myself. Maybe I'll have better luck because then I will have got around, hopefully. Or I'll it'll be easier for me to find a place without a fee because that, that was the other thing is that a lot of the actual um, places that make it easy, was like the the people with the fee were getting whatever preferential treatment was you know they were the first hundred results you know and and so finally i'm not having any luck in that first week like i'm filling out applications and the applications are not cheap some of them are like 75 bucks to and you don't get that money back that's 75 bucks for them to tell you no because i have no credit because i just graduated so basically I, I avoid nothing because the person that uh, gets the fee is who I end up going with. So I'm, I'm just going to call them like a um, agent. And so so then I finally get an apartment because I get it all happens like right together. Um, I get a job and then that helps. And then my grandfather becomes a co-signer and that helps. And then I get the apartment. So I'm like square. Right. Yeah. But I mean,
1: like, it, it's cool that you're now you're getting those reps in where you're actually like really understanding what it means to be in different rooms and, and how to like what it looks like to navigate those. Um, and so I, I would love to like, I guess, work towards, um, when you did like that, that special event with 25 other comics. Um, uh, I think this was also like pretty early in the Chicago, uh, time period, but, um, uh, maybe before that we could talk about the when you eventually did get a job
0: oh yeah so <laughs> okay um so obviously the 2 weeks did not work out the 2 weeks was like what pie in the sky so it ended up being 2 months and i started to just pay we spart- we started to split the rent in by thirds because i was like that's the most fair to me i'm not spending money outside of being here living with y'all. Like I'm not going out to eat or anything. And I finally go to an Aldi and I interview for that place and I get the job pretty quickly. Like, you know, I'm, I'm Aldi is a grocery a time, store, right? Aldi is a grocery store. Yeah. And, and I'm getting in right at the time. feel where like dis- the job you wanted? at the time it did because aldi was paying more than anybody else i was interviewing for like 12 60 or it was something like that where it was like a couple dollars above the minimum wage and that was just gonna add up over time because i was gonna my plan was to just work as much as i could work all day keep saving money and go up at night and so uh i got that job and woof, it was <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> oh, it it was it was it was rough, man. It's like that that Why, that place was, so was bad. work because what they do is that in order to keep costs down, and everything their staffing is actually like super limited. And I was getting in at a time where the district manager had fired half the staff at all five stores that she managed, and so she was bringing people in that were young and that were like able to do the work quickly, but then we were expected to be just lightning fast. And so you're, you're stocking in between ringing people up. And then if too many people roll up to the register at the same time, it looks like you're not working. So then you got to run back over and ring them up and run back and, you know, stock the shelves and stuff. So that, that, you know, it's what keeps prices down, but it's rough on the people doing it. and and so i was just happy to like i was very happy while i was there even though it was a rough a rough job um and then that led to me getting the apartment and finally be able to like not have to split a third of the rent and so so sure enough i i get that job and luckily it's not it's not every day and it's not all nights. Like I'm doing some mornings. So now I'm able to go out and do open mics and get to know people and just try to be out as much as I can, just back and forth. Uh, And then I really start burning the candle at both ends and become like trash at the job. Like I'm like, I'm tired all the time because I'm just doing mics as late as I can for a night, if I can. And four in a night, are you getting better? Uh, yeah, I was, I was getting much better. Um, and so now I have to remind myself that not to romanticize too much that first year, cause it was very rough. It was like, I was always tired. I was working this essentially this backbreaking job and then I was going up at night and I was getting better, but I still needed the right circumstances to really break through.
1: Is there a moment where you realize, okay, maybe I'm starting to break through the noise or at least, um, uh, Am setting myself up well enough that I I'm I'm like sure I'm gonna break through the noise eventually
0: yeah I think that you know because Chicago at least while I was there is such a tight-knit community once you're proving that you're gonna be around for a while and people start to bother to really learn your name and and talk to you and all that stuff because you're gonna you're gonna be here but I think in Chicago it was it was very easy because there were fewer comics, and then if you were funny from the onset and you really proved you were out a lot, I think people sort of gravitated to you and, and brought you into the fold. And so, you know, early on, I think people like Kyle Scanlon and Danley Callis and and like like people that were Chicago guys that I found very funny, finding me funny, was huge. It was like like a compliment from them was going like so far uh in my mind because i was like all right this is a person that i look up to that's like that thing was very funny you know we moved to uh I'm going to new york yeah so you know the the beautiful thing about being in chicago is that eventually the the entire city one way or another will tell you you're ready to leave Like, um, you'll either hit a ceiling and you'll be doing all the shows and you'll, like, everyone will know who you are or, you know, your peers will also be like, why haven't you moved yet? Like, go to New York, LA or whatever. Um, And and also, you don't need that. Like, I, I think sometimes people wait for that. They wait for people to notice how great they are and tell them they should move on and then lean on that as a sense of uh authority and don't don't do that like move at your own pace like i left when i felt like it was time to leave and i actually had a few people who were kind of naysayers in that way where they were like well, are how do you, you know sure
1: that you're ready like and how did you think you were ready
0: because that it's hard to gauge like when you're ready for that next step yeah like i feel like having done everything here how can you not be ready and then i knew people who moved before they did everything and did just as well in new york yeah so you realize okay like i'm, I'm ready
1: move to new york what is that move like is it as rat infested and floorless as the move to chicago or is it a little bit more comfortable
0: no no it's terrible it is <laughs> pretty bad uh It was a lot of like whatever could go wrong was going wrong for a bit, Um, but luckily so one thing that happened that was a huge shift, one of the biggest things that helped me move to New York even was that while I was in Chicago, I stopped working at Aldi and start working at Trader Joe's. And then I used Trader Joe's to transfer to New York. So that way, when I landed in New York, I already had a job. And so even though I didn't get to pick my shifts the way that I did in Chicago, I was like, okay, I'll at least be making money because a lot of the other comics I knew that moved from Chicago to New York burned through the first six months just trying to find a job and get on their feet. And so in my mind, I'm like, all right, I already got an apartment, the apartments with some other Chicago comics and I already have a job like now I can just hit the ground running whenever I can get a spot. I'll I'll hit that. I'll hit that spot with the knowledge that like, okay, I may have to get up early tomorrow, but I'm I'm like leaps and bounds ready to go. What was it like living with all the other comics? uh, Amy Shanker and Jeff Sheen that I lived with, that I moved from Chicago with to New York. And luckily it was, I don't know how I would have fared if I didn't have them because we luckily both moved all together in a way that even we would go out together to the same mics. And the difference between Chicago and New York is that Chicago has a list of who's going to go up on the open mic. And New York has a bucket and the bucket was created to keep people there because when you have a list and let's say there's 80 people on the list, if you know you're 72, you're not going to stay for like 71 comics. You're going to go, you're going to come back, you're going to see if you're up, whatever. So in order to keep people in the room, they invented the bucket, which is just pulling it and they'll pull groups. So they'll list, they'll say five names And then they'll let those five people go, they'll sell five more names. So that way it's a nice little compromise. Like if you're not in that group, you can step out for a bit and come back. And if you are in that group, maybe you got to the mic super late, but you get to go up right away. Now, obviously almost everybody rigs the bucket. Like they let their friends go up early, they, you know. And so we were going last at every mic for like six months. It was was wild, we were like, And and it's because people didn't know us and we weren't like, like no one had a problem with us. They just did not know who we were. And so they were like, all right, is this person even funny? Are they like some hobbyist or whatever? And so I think that thing of like the anger and annoyance that you can feel, because by the time you're in the last bucket, like you're the last group, no one's there. Everyone's left. So then we're essentially just doing the set we have for each other. Like we could have done this at home,
1: you know? It's really cool that you were like finding your way through it, even though it was difficult. Um, When did you start to get like a little attention in New York? Soon after I
0: moved to New York, I got Comedy Central's comics to watch. And so basically my manager at the time uh, sent one of my tapes around to Comedy Central and they shared it a bunch and they put me in the... showcase through that tape that i made that i was when i was leaving chicago and so then that showcase ended up being a big deal because that was like getting it was kind of like getting variety comics to watch now where at the time for what it was a lot of people network people would go to that showcase because it was part of new york comedy festival and then they would you get your general meetings through that so then mtv would come true tv like all, all these people would come and that was my first introduction to like industry people i just saw it as like oh okay cool the people from comedy central like me and they want me to come do this showcase and so I did it with the other comics that they chose and it it was it was also interesting because a lot of comics got it through different ways so it's like mine came through a tape and some other people's came through a tape and then other people had to enter this contest and then it were in a bracket system and then the winner or two winners got to be on that showcase so it was like it was a real um mix of how people got on and I just remember going up having a good time and everything and I remember like Michael Cox was from Tonight Show was there and you know he approached me and was like oh I I think that set was really good like either that set or something like it would be great on the show and and so it was really only after the showcase that I realized how big of a deal it was because then like I get a general with MTV and I get like Um, A couple people hit me up from Fox, I think it was, after that. And so that was when I was thinking, wow, that was a big deal. And I I just didn't know. Like, it it just seemed cool. Was your energy, like, even
1: more tied up on it? Or was it, like, consistent? Like, what were you feeling at that moment? I go back and
0: forth. The thing that did the most for me throughout all of this stuff, all the way up until like things really took off, was having the job at Trader Joe's. There's a very different, like, (laughs) like... You don't understand me. When, when you would no matter what type of night you have, I felt like uh I felt like Aladdin. Cause no matter what type of night I was having comedy wise, the next morning I had to get up and I had to stock these shelves and nobody cared, you know? Like not saying nobody cared as in they weren't supportive. Like my coworkers were like, Oh, tell us when you have a show and stuff like that. But no one like no customers recognizing me. Nobody cares. And I think that thing is also humbling enough that you're that you're not putting too much stock in what people say to you outside of this thing. So it's like knowing that I was going back to the grocery store every day was like almost a comfort because I was like, hey, even if nobody likes me, nobody can take away this and doing comedy. Is that, if that makes sense? I like my job right now at Trader Joe's and I do comedy at night and I'm good at it and nobody can take that thing away. Like even, even if I get... Um, hate, hate it to oblivion. That's two things that I have that starting from square one. The fact that I like square one is like the ultimate release. Something I think a lot about like any creative endeavor is
1: like, if, if it isn't intrinsically valuable to actually do the thing, then you might not really like the thing. Okay. So could you like, I guess, take me up to, um, getting that job at the tonight show like like what what were the steps that that led there that you felt like were more most concrete um to actually like maybe uh uh, having something
0: secure and this in this comedy world so basically i did comics to watch still working at Um, trader joe's and then i ended up booking that that naca conference and then getting a tour off of that so i'm i'm doing all these colleges yeah naca is like the college conference where colleges come to pick who's going to perform for them um throughout the school year and so it's a very tough thing to book because you once again have to send in a tape and then the naca people decide if you'll showcase or not and i'm even i'm even like making excuses why i can't take more shifts at trader joe's i'm just like hey can we go to one day a week like one shift a week or something so that way i'll like pop into town do my shift and then you know head back out and are you getting paid for this yeah yeah i'm it's the most money i've ever made it's it's wild Yeah, I ended up doing very well at the showcase at both showcases. So then I ended up booking a bunch of schools. And so what did that feel like? I mean, it felt it felt very good because what I ended up doing was using that tour to pay off my student loans. So now I'm like, okay, I'm like even like like that. That actually made Trader Joe's even feel better. Because then once I paid off my student loans, I was like, okay, wow, I like every dollar that I make outside of taxes now is mine. I don't have to worry about because all through living in Chicago, I was like trying to figure out these student loans. I was like, man, I'm so screwed. You know, with that, I also it made me feel a bit better because now I had money to live if I wasn't going to work at Trader Joe's. After that tour ends, I go back to working at Trader fairly regularly. And wait, how, how many? You, you said you did 70? Yeah, it's like 77, I think it was. 75 or 77. So you probably had like close to like a, a hundred
1: grand in the bank at that point, right? Or, or not in the bank, but like between paying off your student loans
0: and and what you had saved, like you were chilling, right? Yeah, I was chilling for a little bit because basically you have to factor in, first of all, taxes and then um, the student loans is a chunk that's just leaving immediately. And then the um, commission from my agent and manager. So it's like, so you already have to take 30% away for commissions, you have to take the the uh, student loan money away and then you have to take the taxes. So by the end of it, I actually was like only barely chilling. So my manager and I send a tape that's like one of the tapes that I'm trying to get because I just want to have a really good one to send. And based off of that, the tape ends up doing more than I could have imagined because you just send the tape so that they can see what your set would be to see if they want you on the show. So then they send you notes or they send you, oh, this isn't the set for us or can you do or just we're not interested or whatever. Right. Or we'd love to have you on. And instead my tape got seen by the head writer at the time at Tonight show. And he was like, this is really funny. Would, would he want to send in a packet of jokes? And so my manager asked me about, he's like, Hey, do you want to just stay on, the route to try to perform on the show or do you want to send in a packet? And I was like, hey, I'll send in a packet like all good. Yeah, sounds great. Maybe the next week or even a few days later, we hear back like, hey, would he like to send in another packet? Uh, and so I was like, uh, yeah, I'll do some more jokes. And is this for free? Yeah, this this part is for free because it's essentially your audition and then I leave and then a couple days later I get the call that I got it that I got the job and like that was the thing that was like oh my gosh this is wild like this is crazy. On getting
1: this this job like uh, were you like alright like I guess I can quit Shutter Joe's? No no I still didn't quit. You still didn't quit?
0: You had the job working on The Tonight Show it, but isn't that like consistent income? It, it is it is it it isn't because you can you can get fired after like a cycle or something like you know the every cycle is like 13 weeks long or something i was really happy to get the job and felt really good about it but i was also like let me let me hold off on just a little bit so i let it overlap slightly and it wasn't all about me like it is with stand up and i had to not be precious and that was that was tough that was a that was a thing of like writing your best jokes every day and then seeing maybe one of them get on i definitely wanted to get as good as possible writing for the show but i also was like let me let me also focus on the thing that essentially got me here you know stand up is what stand up is the only reason they recognize my writing so let me keep doing stand up as much as i can so
1: you are at the tonight show you're making sure you're focusing on both um what eventually
0: makes you leave? I got uh, an offer to be in a pilot that was gonna be what I thought was gonna take off as a show. And so rather than like trying to be in the pilot, but also write for the show, but because you gotta remember, we're not at a time of work from home. We're not in a, we're, we're weirdly, only one show to my knowledge before COVID was really a work from home, don't bother coming in scenario and that was like towards the end of Letterman was when people would just send in their jokes and he'd pick them and, that, and then they'd get their check and so until a show was going to have that level of uh, hands off as far as the writing went um, you, you were going to be there. So I'm doing tonight's show but then I leave tonight's show and I'm like Alright, I gotta figure out what what to do next. And then I did at midnight and I was like, alright, gotta all right, like like because those things are a, a blip. they're they're a moment in time. They're not gonna sustain you forever or even for a few months sometimes. Um, and then it wasn't until I got the job at the Daily show that I was like, okay, back on track. here's the thing I can focus on while I focus on up, you know, But that didn't happen till October of 2017. So I spent most of the calendar year slightly freaking out. Because that's also the year that I got my half hour. So, like, I got my commie central half hour, which is, like, a nice chunk of money and a nice, like, stepping stone career-wise where people are checking for you again. So, essentially, you're having all these, like, one-off
1: blips, but they're not, like, it's scary, even though you're, you could see the traction that you're getting and you're getting these bigger, bigger things. It's scary because it could completely disappear because there's no, there's no, like... I guess, like reliability on money coming in or just exposure.
0: Yeah, like like 2017 was the first year that I got to really see what it would be like to have a career in comedy.
1: Amazing year. Tell me about landing uh,
0: on The Daily Show. Yeah, that was actually one of those things where you want something and then you don't get it. And then it turns out better because, you know, the show didn't get picked up. And then the uh, the next thing I did was I auditioned to be a correspondent on The Opposition with Jordan Klepper, which was a show that was also on Comedy Central, came on after Daily Show and stuff. And I got pretty close and then through my test for it, obviously I didn't get it, but the people that I was testing with were like, you should do a Daily Show packet. And so I went ahead and did that and then uh, got an interview. And for that interview, Trevor and the head writer and the producers were in the room and we just chatted once again, sort of asking questions about my approach to writing and stuff like that. And then I got to ask my questions of like what the day is like and, you know, expectations and stuff. And then I ended up getting the job, which was amazing because now once again, I had some some steady income and then something to work towards getting better at and learning a different aspect of, because what, what tonight show taught me was not being precious about my jokes and to write a lot of jokes and to know when to let go, like through things people don't want to talk about or hear. And then that changed a lot for me. That was, that was like, it changed my whole approach to comedy. Um, Cause one, one like nice little button on the first, part of my career, like that first little chapter was having Mr. Ward at the Tonight Show. Then when I actually got to do it, it was this wild thing that came full circle. And I think that, that in this next chapter, it's really been more about building up how I relate to people, how people receive what I'm saying. And I think that before it was just pure, like jokey, joke, 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 is this funny? Is this funny? Is this funny? And now it's it's something that hopefully resonates a bit deeper with people where it's very funny and memorable, you know? Do you worry as like you become
1: more successful that you lose that like ability to resonate
0: with people? You won't you won't lose it if you structure your life a certain way. So the same way that I tell people that I didn't quit immediately from Trevor Joe's after Tonight Show. It's like that's what actually keeps you normal and relatable. you touring with Trevor Noah um, because
1: I think that's also probably one of the experiences where you start viewing comedy differently.
0: I think working with Trevor has, whether it's on the show or it's on the tour, has completely shifted the way that I approach both career and comedy. And that just came about like out of nowhere. I had been working on the show for a little over a year. And then, um, he reached out and was like, Hey, would you want to come do, would you want to come open on this show? And I went over there and I had a good set and it was fun. And then from then on out, we've been tour together like i do all the domestic dates and stuff like that with him i treasure the fact that the last little bit of reassurance i i needed i got through doing this tour it's it's a thing of like they didn't know what i was that i was coming and they enjoyed me very much and that's that's a huge um it's a huge boost to the to the confidence that you try to build your entire career of like am I for everybody or do I need to lean into my niche or or what, you know, whatever that is and finding that you write jokes that are in a common enough thread that people roll with you is wild. Like that's, that's one of those things where even if your career doesn't necessarily go to the places that you want it to, you'll always know that you were funny enough to do that thing several times over. And that's, that's like such a gift. I I think like one of the last things that I wanna to
1: touch on is um, how your opinion of comedy in your career changed again and also maybe like the urgency that it changed when uh, the pandemic started.
0: I think the pandemic taught me to just make the same way that the tour taught me that I bring lots of value to a wide audience of comedy fans. The pandemic taught me to just go ahead and make whatever you want to make. And so I just, I think that now it's, it's come to a thing of like, I'm going to make everything. I'm going to do everything I want to do. I'm going to put out as much as I can. And like, it's, is I think it's dope and that's all that really matters. And then I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. So where are things for you today? What are you most excited about? So now I I think that now I'm just building up, as much of a, a catalog as I can, I think that that is one of my dreams: is to have at the end of a long career, look back at just a dope ass catalog of, of like specials that I've done, of things that I've written, of people that I've written for to help make things. And like, I just I just want to make sure that I have an impact on on comedy because I love it. You know, I, I want to essentially do with comedy what Kanye's done with music you know like like Kanye has, has essentially created genres per album like there is no Playboy Cardi without Yeezus there's probably no Drake without 808 Heartbreak like it, you know being good at what makes um, hip hop great is what he did in late registration and college dropout so he already proved that he's like one of the best at that but then every album since has been like, oh, wow, this is like its own thing. And I want to do that with comedy. I want to make a catalog that inspires and spawns different aspects of, of uh, comedy and comedians in the, in the future. And so what do you think, like, what piece of
1: advice do you think you would give to, like, the, the younger version of yourself or the, these, like, young comics that are coming up?
0: There's a misconception that there's a direct cor- correlation with popularity and with uh, with how good you are with artistry. And I think that knowing that you're dope is the best thing that you can do for yourself and for your art and for the other people that you're trying to share it with. And so I think that really believing in your, yourself is the most key thing so that way when you post one thing and it gets 10 million views and then you post literally the next thing and it gets a thousand you're not shaken because you're doing you're, you're you're putting all dope things out there you're making something special just keep making it when you're making things make sure you're making them because they make you happy and you're making them for someone and there's no way you can go wrong